Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding. I promise it's not a robot doing that intro every week. Every week I do the intro, I feel like a robot. Anyways, it's not a robot. So today is an exciting episode. I will be sharing a clip of an interview that I did with Aman, the co-founder and CEO, and a good friend of mine of Ministry of Supply. And he shares his concept of product IQ, which ultimately stems from conversions of their initial purchase or a customer's initial purchase of their products and how they use it to really drive their business. So it's a product IQ definition overview. It's ultimately a play on product-led growth that is very popular in SaaS, and you don't really hear that term too much in the D2C or e-commerce space. So we talk about that. I'm not going to give away the entire episode because then you wouldn't listen to it. You just shut this down. But uh, it's ultimately it's a play on repurchase rate or returning customer percentages. And to give another angle or a definition to think about before you hear how Aman and his team uses it in their business to drive everything from go-to-market, product decisions, marketing decisions, business decisions, et cetera. So the standard, if you were to log into most dashboards and you look at your returning customer percentage or returning customer metric, it's usually calculated by, okay, look at their all revenue that came in from the last X number of days. What percentage of revenue is from new customers? What percentage is from returning customers? And then you have your you know, 35% returning customer rate. I listened to an episode from uh, Moise Ali and Nick Sharma, their podcast called uh, Limited Supply. I think it was one of their late August episodes, but they actually talked about the repurchase percentage metric or repurchase rate. And Moise shared his definition, which is a little bit different than the one I just outlined. And essentially, he he stated that the way he likes to measure return, returning customer percentage metric, uh, it's called so many different things. So apologize if I'm calling it five different things as I'm going through it. But essentially, look back a year. So look back to September 2021. Out of all customers that purchased in September 2021, or all new customers that purchased a year ago, how many of those customers purchased in the last 12 months? And then use that to calculate your returning customer percentage metric. Again, it's a little bit different than that revenue overview of just taking the last 30 days and splitting what revenue came in from new versus returning. I don't necessarily think one is better than the other. Uh, Moise's definition obviously makes a lot of sense because that's it's going to give you, in my opinion, a, a better way of really evaluating stickiness of the product. And obviously the year, depending on what you you sell, a year may not be the right time frame to look at, but you get the gist. Anyways, that is a different way to look about or think about your returning customer measurement. And then with Amon's episode, which I'm going to cut over here to in a minute, that goes a level deeper. It's, uh, it's really enlightening and, and inspiring, and I know you'll enjoy it. So Without further ado, here is that eight-minute clip with Aman and I talking about product IQ. And yes, conversions aren't just Facebook purchase events you see inside Facebook Business Manager. 
in conversion tracking, there's so many ways you can use data that you are capturing in your conversions to drive your business outside of just the Facebook pixel. So enjoy and uh, let me know what you think. In the early days, so the pre-Magento days, any any big learning lessons that you had as you were still scaling up and getting to that first couple million dollars in revenue? Yeah, you know, I think for a long time we were selling a dream. For the first two years, we were selling a dream. We were selling kind of a really advanced, cutting edge technology, mm-hmm. and we built a strong brand around it. We got a lot of great investors around it. What I would kind of give my myself advice eight or nine years ago, and anyone starting a product right product brand right now would be first and foremost, scrape away all the other stuff. Scrape away Shopify, scrape away photography, copy, Facebook, shop, you know, Shopify, uh, you know, branding yeah. investors. Take all that out. And with no label on your product, no brand name even, can you make the greatest blank that ever existed uh, in your mind? And then let customers refine that to make it even greater. Can you make something that is so sticky that when someone puts it on for the first time, they can't imagine life without it? And, uh, and I think having an obsession with that before you get to all the frilly parts, right? Before like yeah. you know, you get, a lot of young founders, myself included, love that TechCrunch headline on raising money. Love that, you yeah. know, uh, <laughs> love that Facebook ad that's got, you know, a thousand likes on it. But until you have a product that is just so sticky, my advice to myself then and my, my advice to a newer crop of brands popping up is just to make that product just so insanely good that people can't yeah. imagine life without it. What are you doing today to take the advice from eight, eight or nine years ago? Obviously, you're not going to shut everything down and say, all right, here's a shirt, try it on. Like, what are some of the concepts that you've taken from that? Yeah, you know, a couple of things I'd say is one is we've gotten an, an incredibly good at iterative design, right? And a lot of people say that for us, it's like we have, you know, half to two thirds of our styles are evergreen. They don't, they don't change. Mm-hmm. We, we generationally improve them, right? Like the mm-hmm. iPhone is as great as it is because they've committed to it. And, yep. and that's exactly how we think of our products. I mean, everything you can see behind me, actually not one of those styles that, that's there is introduced in the last two years. And because of that, we've been able to make the product rapidly yeah. better. And the second thing is trusting our gut a lot more, right? So, so we're, we're, we're shoppers first, where wearers first of a product is not just pristine. Yes, there's a the rational, you know, we, we run lab tests that simulate years of use before we even look at a product, before we even take it in our hands. But we've got pattern recognition at this point. We've got our own opinions. If a product is not mm-hmm. just exactly where we want it to be, we've yeah. learned the power of no. And uh, and I can't tell you how many times we have shut products down. This is our sample rack. Our dev room is right there. There's a, a massive graveyard of things that we've just said, not, <laughs> not there yet. You know, Let's touch it again in a yeah. year when we can look at it with fresh eyes. Yeah, nice. I love that. So you're in the transition now and now it's like looking looking ahead to continue to grow the business and grow the product etc another another interesting question that i'd like to hear the answers to is when you think about your resources whether it's your time your team's time people money investment etc how do you look at allocating resources to help you continue to scale and grow I remember reading a good article about a CFO a while ago where, you know, a CFO who's allocating or, you know, is thought of as, as the kind of owner of the PL is thinking about allocating resources. And it was in Good to Great, which is now kind of a, a, oh, staple, yeah. Yeah. a staple in most uh, offices. Ours is right there. And this idea that a CFO should reflect business priorities, not create them, reflect or support, advocate for. And I think that's kind of the, the presence we've taken here. So everything I just said about product is true. If we don't allocate resources to building a world-class product, first in class and best in class, then none of the other stuff matters. So instead of thinking this as a split the pie b- between design, make and sell, it's make sure that the pie is, is, is you know, the design has had all the pie it needs yeah. before you allocate any pie to make and sell. 
And letting that pace our business has just been a fundamental shift in how we think and making sure that, again, first and foremost, is it the great, you know, can someone not live without it? When someone puts on this, this is one of my favorite products. Yeah. If you put on this hybrid dress shirt, I, w- I cannot imagine you will ever go back and, and buy a Brooks Brothers shirt, you know, with a clear mind, right? And that, that's yeah. the goal is that that kind of power exists. And if, if the design team does not have enough pie, enough resources, that won't happen. You'll end up over allocating yeah. to sell. You'll have a great marketing message and a great brand, but your yeah. design team was uh, lacking resources and didn't make a product that lived up to that promise. Yeah. Interesting. So the immediate parallels for me go to product-led growth, which is yeah. We're typically here in the SaaS world, but so it's almost like your your resource allocation is around the product because you're if it's the best product out there, then you have that trust that that's going to keep your customers longer lifetime, word of yeah. mouth, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And we, we we measure that pretty carefully too. We we call it IQ. Every product uh, we have has an IQ. It's 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 its unique identifier. And uh, it's relative to our norm. So it's the average repurchase rate inspired by that product, the inspiration quotient. We don't care what your second purchase was, but if that was in your first purchase, if that influenced your first purchase, if it was in your cart on basket one, what was the likelihood you came back? And uh, every single product has an IQ uh, and it's either positive or negative. It's above our average or below our average. If it's above the average, we push it and and encourage buyers to include it. If it's below our average, we either cut it or find out why right now, often that's a messaging issue, right? It's a fit issue. Let's make sure we tell people size up, right? Like the solution isn't always just cut it right. uh, Or we'd be out of product. And a negative IQ doesn't mean it's a bad product, right? It just means relative to our average. So yeah, product led growth is, is spot on and you can actually engineer that. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting just to unpack since that's another question I'd like to dig into on these interviews is data points that are unique to your brand and your business and how you use it in different manners. So the the product IQ, does, that's the first for this. So kudos to you is that I think unpacking that a little bit more. So explain, maybe that's the same explanation, but first, so when you have a product, so when that a user customer purchases that product, that's what you're using into the repurchase rate. So when you start analyzing someone who's purchased three, four or five different items, you look to see what products were in that first order for the customer. Yeah, exactly. And we we don't mind that it's not just that product, right? That will Mm -hmm. shake out over time. But we we have a a monthly meeting. We look at every one of our major product platforms and we look at four things. We look at IQ. Is it a product that is generally driving a behavior that we want? We look at yeah. volume. Are we moving a lot of it? Right. So high IQ, high volume, keep it up. You know, high IQ, low yeah. volume, push this more. Yeah. Um, we look at at gross margins. Are we creating value? Margins are a reflection of value. Did we create value in doing this? If if yeah. high IQ, high volume, but no margin, it just means you're passing something along at cost, and you, you have no reason to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we look at carbon footprint, right, and make sure that we're we're doing all of this responsibly. And if yeah. we can get a product that has a high IQ, high volume, high margin, and low footprint, that's the ultimate goal. And 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 there's uh, uh, quite a few. Fortunately, now after years of this playbook, there's quite a few that have now fallen into that. Now the now the bar only goes higher, right? Uh, yeah, higher yeah. IQ, higher volume, <laughs> higher margin, lower footprint. Uh, yeah, it keeps going. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcast. I also have a favor to ask. 
I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again. 